It's the Meg John and Justin podcast. Yay! Yay! How good was that? That wasn't <laughs> bad for a first take. Not bad. So, um, ear pals, you will um, may have picked up that I'm not with Justin today. So, yeah, the Meg John half of Meg John and Justin is here. Um, but I'm finally doing an interview with a guest because Jez has done a couple of ones recently. Um, and I have Dominic Davis with me, who is the head of Pink Therapy, which is a big um, kind of LGBTQ uh, therapy organisation in the UK, um, an excellent place to go if you're looking for um, any kind of therapist who's good at gender, sexuality and relationship diversity. And um, I've got Dominic here partly because we're mates, so it's nice to do a podcast with him, mm. but also because we did get a question about sex addiction and I thought to myself, fantastic, I know who is a real expert in this area and in fact, Dominic and I previously did a YouTube kind of video lecture on this, didn't we? We did, yeah. When was that? About three years ago, I think. Yeah, so I'll probably put that in the show notes. So people want to, if people want to see what we thought about this three years ago, yeah. they can go there. But what we're going to do here is like the updated version, right? Yeah, and this this content will be fairly different. So yeah. it is worth kind of checking that one out, mm -hmm. particularly if you wanted to test whether you were a sex addict. Oh, because we had that questionnaire. Because we deconstructed yeah. a yeah. well-established, apparently well-established questionnaire. We did. Um, and took, d d yeah, and, and then tried to critique what the questions were about yeah got into some trouble for that did we <laughs> I don't I can't remember at all I've been in so much trouble Dominic it's like this is a long ago trouble <laughs> yeah I got into some trouble in fact you oh. came and came, came to a drink after the conference oh I d now I remember yes yep. yeah we did have a bit of yeah, trouble so let's let's hope to be equally controversial <laughs> today <laughs> it's not a bad thing to be is it <laughs> no, really not at all um, so what we're going to cover um, we're, we're probably going to do just a one episode on this but if it goes on for a long time we may turn it into two but it's sort of the what is sex addiction how's it being understood these days which I'm really going to turn to you for Dominic because I'm mm -hmm. not so familiar with the, the current thinking sure and um, the kind of things people might be concerned about and some of the theories that have been quite useful in research in this area but then the second part is going to be very much if you're struggling mm -hmm. thinking that you do have some kind of problem in this area what might you do right but broad brush we're quite critical of this concept aren't we of, oh of completely as yeah. a sex addiction doesn't exist right okay. I mean that's I've been that's pretty critical <laughs> yeah. I've been working as a sex therapist for almost 40 years and I have never met anyone yeah. where I've thought my goodness, you are a sex addict. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I've met a lot of people who have felt out of control with their sexual behaviour. I've met a lot of people who have had a lot of sex. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it, I don't, I, there's no one who I've ever thought you are a sex addict. Mm. I don't know how all these people ap appear in the clinics. Well, I do have an idea of how these people appear in the clinics and yeah. we might talk about that. But there's a lot of shame around sex and sex is a, is a fantastic thing for many people mm. uh, but it can get out of control it's a, it can be a dangerous yeah. um, drive f you know the libidinal drive can be quite yeah. dangerous mm. um, but I don't think it's what well, the science says it's not an addiction yeah and the World Health Organization recently re-examined the science mm. because the American Psychiatric Association a few years ago declined to include sex addiction as part of their revision of their psychiatric disorders booklet yeah. or book it's not a booklet it's huge <laughs> it's a very big booklet the, yeah, yeah, the, the, DSM, the yeah. diagnostic and statistical manual yeah yeah version five mm -hmm. um and said the science wasn't there yeah the world health organization have a have one that in embraces more than just mental health which is what the psychiatric american and the dsm is about mm. um so it does all kinds of physical illnesses and diseases as well mm. and 
and they they said no it's not an addiction yeah they said they wouldn't put it in the there's no the evidence isn't there for it being an addiction mm-hmm. um and they said that it's an impulse control problem okay. it's a disorder of impulse yeah um and they only p- agreed to put it in there mm. because we need more research to see if this is a real problem or not. And sometimes having it in these manuals. So if it's in a people. manual, people yeah. can do mm-hmm. studies, they can get funding for it, they yeah. can look at it, and you can do some good quality studies. Mm. And there have been some studies being done, yeah. particularly using things like um, f- um, fMRI studies, yeah. functional ma- magnetic resonance imaging, and some other, and some other studies like eye, eye tracking and things yeah. like this. There's been some good science. The good neuroscience mm-hmm. um, is is all listed on a website called yourrealbrainonporn.com. Oh, this is you. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a great it's a great website. Now, mm. some of the ear ear what are they called? The, your, uh, our ear pals. Your yes. ear pals. <laughs> yes. May have heard of yeah. Real Brain on Porn. Yeah. The website Real Brain on Porn and the No Fapping communities. Oh yes. Yes. You see, there's a whole No Fap movement. Which is people trying not to masturbate. Trying. It's yeah. about guys not trying not to masturbate. And November has just passed. And oh they yeah. Were trying, no, not November. They right. were trying to do this. Mm-hmm. It's pretty poor Again, for their mental health. Another guest on our show who, who's often on um, Eleanor Yanago is often talking about this. Um, on the, on right. the, pod, the uh, blog post. So, so yeah. I won't go into that, yeah. but Real Brain on Porn has a lot of skewed science. Your Real Brain on Porn okay. has the, the, the real science. Brilliant. Well, we'll put the good one on the show so, notes. So the notes will go up yeah, yeah, and people yeah. can check it out. Yeah. Um, but the it, it went into the ICD mm. um, and then it went in with a lot of caveats because one of the problems is mm that sex addiction clinics who make a lot of money out of treating people for sex addiction yes. or, or training therapists to be sex addiction therapists. Yeah, there's a really big business. There's a big business yeah. in this. They are they now rebranding themselves as being um, compulsive sexual behavior disorder. That's okay. the thing, CSBD, mm-hmm. CSBD um, treatment centers. Yeah. But they're also, also, they're also using porn addiction, sex addiction as long alongside CSBD. Yeah. Now there were a number of very important caveats that the WHO said shouldn't be part of treated as mm. as CSBD and we can go through some of those if that's useful mm. um, because if for example your partner tells you you're a sex addict yes. and you need to go and get yourself treated then um, that is not a uh, diagnostic criteria <laughs> oh, good, yeah. and you can't self-diagnose this mm, condition interesting. it needs to be diagnosed by somebody who's got specific training in sexology yeah not just uh, so somebody who understands the sexual science and the research around it yeah. um, so you can't have self-diagnosis um, you uh, let's see what else it, it, you can't it shouldn't be diagnosed when the psychological distress over your sexual behaviors are due to your moral conflicts yeah. and that's one of the big populations for the sex clinics sex yeah. addiction clinics is that they're they're people who have strong religious beliefs feeling mm. really bad about what they've been doing and yeah. it's interesting that the people who run those clinics are often um, active Christians those those people have had strong have strong religious faith yeah so it's often, and the people who, the, the research shows, the neuroscience research shows where they have problems with their mm. sexual behaviour, 
it's not the amount of times they're masturbating. Yeah. It's it's actually their masturbation rates are quite low. Mm. It's that they feel guilty about what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. And that, of course, sexual shame and guilt is actually yeah. a condition that could be going into the books. If, and we could be diagnosing and supporting and treating people and for it, their sexual shame and guilt. And it, that would be a useful thing to do. But again, the problem there is, you know, again, as people who listen to this show a lot will, will know m mine and Justin's take on all of this is generally it's the cultural messages there that are at fault rather than the individual well, we should that's, change that's why right? <laughs> that's why we that's why yeah. we'd get them in to treat them to say yeah. no this you don't have a disorder here no, but it's like look at let's, your disconnect with let's yeah. look at your disconnect let's look at your shame yeah. let's look at what's going on for you so i think you and i are really critical of the idea that there's any like objective sort of amount of sexual sex or sexual desire that we could pathologize right. because actually it's a massive spectrum it's not an amount and it's yeah. not activities yeah. we need to, th these the sex addiction movement talk about acts yeah so if you're having casual sex mm. if you're if you're having more than one partner if yeah. you like to go to sex on the premises places mm -hmm. um, like sex clubs or saunas or lap dancing yeah if you um, spend money on yeah. sex in some way whether that's subscriptions to dating sites mm -hmm. or to porn sites all of these things if you're interested in BDSM exactly so we would say actually look at those lists and it's like a it's another way of pathologizing homosexuality because there's a lot, oh, of, things and that king, a lot of gay men do but and also consensual yeah, non-monogamy and sex work and swingers and, and sex and work. solo sex you know it's another yeah. way of saying solo sex isn't as legit as sex right. with other people or group sex isn't as legit as couple. so it's just like looking at the sexual dysfunctions or looking at the paraphilic disorders right. is when you look at them you can see that the the kind of ideal mm -hmm. is the you know penis and vagina leading mm. to orgasm mm. with a heterosexual couple and that that is seen as like unproblematic sex and anything else whether it's too low or too high right. is seen as a problem yep. and and that's what we would want to get away from isn't it yeah, yeah. it is and so the mm. the modern thinking now is to think about out of control sexual behavior and mm. that's a much more neutral term than sex yeah. addiction and much more accurate out of control sexual behavior or dysregulated sexual behavior mm. um, needs to be th we need to think about it as being principles led rather than act centered this is brilliant so i hadn't come across this before <coughs> and when you sent me some notes prior to the show this was on there do you want to say a bit more about the difference i mean again it will hopefully be familiar to listeners um from the stuff that justin and i write that we're often saying you know it's much more about it, it ain't what you do it's the way that you do yeah, it yeah, the immortal words of banana armor and fun boy three <laughs> showing my age um yeah so yeah, it's, yeah. this is the work um well, th this this is the work of My um, Michael Vigorito and Doug mm. Braun Harvey from the States, who are two psychologists in, in the USA, um, who have taken the World Health Organization definition of sexual health, mm -hmm. and they've deconstructed it, that, that definition, that mm. paragraph, into six sexual health principles. Right. So there are consent. Nice. Non-exploitation. Uh-huh protected from STIs and unintended pregnancy. Great. Um, is the sex you're having honest? Are you, is there honesty yeah. going on here? Are you engaging in sex that ha where there is shared values, mm -hmm. um, which looks at things like infidelity and cheating and yeah. dishonesty? Yeah. Um, and is the sex you're having pleasurable? Mm -hmm. Pleasure is a sexual health condition nice. or a principle, prin not a condition, but a principle. So it could say that, you know, any 
if we're not ticking those boxes, then we could say the it sex might well is be a problem, and it's worth looking at. Yeah. It's worth looking yeah. at. If you're exploiting people sexually, yeah. if you're having non-consensual sex, mm. um, if you're barebacking somebody and you're not having conversations about mm. prep and yeah. con agreeing whether to use condoms or not, if it's not pleasurable, if it's not pleasurable, and then you can think this is great because you, we could apply this to solo sex, to um, PIV sex in a heteronormative mm. couple, to mm. kink, to you know, in a, across all of these areas all those boxes could be ticked or not. And in right. fact, quite a lot of normative sex really wouldn't tick those boxes because people are often doing it because they feel they should do it yeah. and they're not having the consent conversations. And Absolutely. you know, that again, this is what Jess and I are often saying is we need to almost like scrutinize more like the normative sexual behaviors where people aren't really thinking this stuff mm. through than perhaps some of the behaviors where at least people, you know, sort of in, in queer community or kink community people may, or non-monogamous communities, people may be thinking more about this stuff. Although again, we've also critiqued criti sure. that sometimes it's easy not to look at this stuff in those communities too. Sure. Yeah, great. So instead of, instead of particular behaviors or acts, it's like, don't be worrying about the behaviors or acts that you do worry about how are you doing them mm -hmm. and if you're feeling like it's not very honest doesn't feel very consensual i'm not getting much pleasure or maybe the another person doesn't get much pleasure those are the kind of things that are a bit of an alarm bell of like this may be something i should be looking at yeah, yeah. exactly right Great. exactly um so uh if if you're getting worried about it, I yeah. guess. Yeah. What, so what can people do? Yeah, what like can this people was really do? The question was like, I think somebody was saying that somebody in their life was thinking, "Am I a sex addict?" And that kind of question of how do how do you figure out if you are, and then what do you do about it mm -hmm. if you do have those concerns? Sure. Mm -hmm. Well. I mean, many of us use sex as a way of helping us change our emotional state. Mm. We self-soothe through masturbation or yeah. through sex. We can use it to help ourselves feel good or connected, or if we're feeling depressed or unhappy or anxious, mm. then having some sex might well help us feel better. Not yeah. always, but mm -hmm. often, and particularly solo sex, can generally make us feel... Well, mood lifter. Uh, yeah, mood yeah, lifter. Yeah. Well, the sex addiction people would say, oh, that's, that, you know, if you're changing your mental, your mood states through sex, mm. that's, that's a sign that you're doing something wrong. It's well, like, no. why else are you doing it? Why else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to do what? it to feel rotten, are Are they just having sex <laughs> yeah. for procreation? What is going on there? <laughs> yeah. Um, of yeah. course, it's, it's about pleasure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can feel like that gets out of control and you might spend all day instead yeah. of, instead of reading some, you know, something for your course or your yeah. writing your essays or going, you know, going and seeing your friends, mm. you're spending all day doing masturbating to porn. Yeah. And that's okay if you've got the time to do it, but if you're mm. putting off other things in order to do that, yeah. then it's worth thinking about why am I, what's underneath this? Yeah, yeah. Now, the people who I see clinically who have problems around sex mm. may well have some underlying mental health challenges going on, so they might well be depressed. Yeah. And, and that's why these sex addiction tests are, and going to an addictions therapist mm. are, isn't necessarily helpful because... Actually, the problem <coughs> is depression. They've yeah. not been, yeah, it's yeah. not an addiction yeah. and they've not necessarily been trained yeah. to work with mental health problems. And that's why I think, I guess, you know, from my perspective, it's like, why in a way single out sex? Mm. It's like, if you're doing anything that's kind of getting in the way of the rest of your life and has that kind of short-term mood lift, but actually long-term it's making you feel worse, mm -hmm. Whether that was reading novels, mm -hmm. watching telly, yeah, yeah. getting drunk, binging on Netflix, you know, yeah. all of those things, you you know that feeling when they're a bit, you know, mm. I've just done too much of this. You 
sure. Know, and it doesn't really matter whether that's wanking or porn or you know any of those other things, does it? Like right. we're eating too much or whatever. You know that feeling when it just doesn't feel. It feels like there's the short term kind of up, but there's a long term <coughs> down from it. That that's maybe right. you wanna. Then there's probably something underlying that's the reason you're doing yeah. that thing, and yeah. you know that's, that needs to be addressed. So there might be mental health stuff. Yeah. There might be trauma. Yeah. And mm. trauma is often a, re- a motivating factor for people getting out of control with their sexual behavior. Um, And so uh, one of the things, we've just put the out of control, treating out of control sexual behavior course online for our therapists to kind of study on the Pink Therapy website. Mm. Because Doug's Doug's written a really great module for us. And one of the things he does in his his, um, screening and assessment is he uses the ACE questionnaire, the 10 questions for the adverse childhood events. Now it's a bit of an American, it is an American, testing thing but Mm -hmm. it's basically 10 questions that you could basically answer yes or no did this happen in your childhood Mm -hmm. Um, that tries to to spot whether there's been a a significant amount of trauma happening in your childhood now it doesn't it because it's American, it includes mm. things like, you know, did you see your parents held up at gunpoint yeah. or shot? Not relevant to most. Not relevant in the UK, UK. Yeah, but relevant there. Sure, yeah. So it's, it, it's not always a great cultural instrument for the UK, but um, people who have got higher scores on that yeah. may well, it might well help them recognise actually there's a legitimate reasons why I'm getting out of control or I've got these problems. Yeah. And my trauma is worthy of going and getting treated and getting some help and support on so that I can you know repair the damage that was done well absolutely and again friends of the show will uh, be familiar with us me and justin recommending um alexi and taffy's mm-hmm. gender stories podcast because right. they did this excellent show on developmental trauma or P- cptsd yeah which is what we're talking about here absolutely and i think absolutely. for me the ace is just a bit of a blunt instrument because it doesn't mm. include a lot of the emotional ones that can sure. really do a number on you yeah because it's sort of much more those obvious like objective kind of ones but i think think people who've had a lot of mm-hmm. you know, gaslighting in their childhood yeah, yeah. or emotional neglect or just not taught or how to be with feelings. Trouble with yeah. attachments and exactly. really inconsistent parenting. They yeah. might be too anxious. They might be too, so too very feeling very insecure. It's just or that caveat. It's like if you go to the police <coughs> and you think, oh, oh sure. no, it's saying I'm not traumatised. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, the No, Doug uses stuff. a number yeah. of measures. He also yeah. looks at attachment and yeah. uh, mm. in close relationships. And he looks at ADHD yeah. um, because people may well have ADHD symptoms. Mm and they're they're finding it hard to concentrate on anything else or they're concentrating on lots of different porn at once and that spotting these things in an assessment mm. means that it becomes clear what are we actually treating here is this sex addiction is there yeah. or is there is it out of control it's forms of neurodiversity that are undiagnosed around mm-hmm. sort of autism or asperger's or um adhd again people might find that they're using sex because they don't realize that there's a form of neurodiversity going on sure. that, that if they have that understanding then sure. they might not feel that need to yeah. do that oh they might way. find and they might yeah. find some other ways of managing some of the stresses yeah so that they've got a, a, a wider toolkit of, of things and strategies they could be using because there's a lot of stress around those things that are about you know masking you know especially especially for as people assigned um, female at birth can often feel they have to mask um, neurodiversity yeah. because it's not seen as something women have or mm-hmm. their behaviours are seen as even less appropriate on women mm-hmm. so you know again some of, some of lifting that stress 
on getting diagnosis of neurodiversity again may mean people don't feel so much need to do whatever it is sure. whether that's sex or drinking or mm. you know <laughs> the Netflix or, or whatever. Yeah or it might account for why it's difficult to meet people or, or to, f to, to form ongoing relationships yeah, yeah. because it's hard to read the social cues and, yeah. and it's easy just to hook up and so have, a, have a grinder date and then yeah. feel, feel a bit better or maybe feel empty afterwards mm. because again, there wasn't not, the connection. We're not saying anything wrong with, you know, doing just solo sex or doing no. casual sex, but if, if you're feeling like it's not quite the sex that you want to be having, mm. but that's what you're doing. Um, it's, it's like if it yeah. feels like it's a problem, yeah. it's worthy of going and talking to someone. Precisely. But go and talk to somebody who knows something about it. Don't go and see yeah. the sex addiction people. Yeah. See a sex therapist or see a psychotherapist who's had some training yeah. around this. And they would help you think about is now is the problem here that the culture you're not fitting the cultural norms but actually it's something you'd be perfectly fine with mm -hmm. if it wasn't for those cultural yeah. norms yeah. is it something you know your a partner or somebody or family members are giving you a hard time about well, actually again you'd be totally fine mm -hmm. with it if it wasn't for that mm -hmm. or is it something that's genuinely like causing issues for you mm -hmm. and in which case it might be worth thinking about mental health conditions neurodiversity yeah. trauma and other possible underlying sure. aspects that, that could be dealt with and I, I'd also put a caveat in about avoiding things like Sex Addictions Anonymous or yeah. SLA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Yeah. These self-help groups aren't necessarily going to be very useful mm. for you. You've got a whole bunch of untrained people who have read Psychobabble yeah. and are sitting in a room addicted to talking about their problems <laughs> and not learning any coping skills. Well, I feel and like you should say what you really think about these groups. I'm <coughs> holding back a little bit there. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, they, they, they've had some, mm. some people have found the 12-step programs useful for around uh, drug addiction and alcohol mm. addiction. About a third of the people who go to them find them useful for that. Yeah. And they've, got, they've helped them ma manage those difficulties. I don't think you can apply that model to something that isn't an addiction, yeah. and sex isn't an addiction. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I just don't think that's useful. So like we're 100% on for people thinking about their relationship to sex and mm -hmm. also their relationship patterns. Oh, goodness, you yeah. Know, and, you know, we all struggle in sex and relationships in uh -huh. the world that we're in at the moment. Yeah. And given the, the sort of issues that most of us have in our backgrounds, however, it's not about saying this is an addiction that I need to fix and mm -hmm. I have to claim this identity as addict sure. in order to do so. Sure. It would be better to be getting support from just you know your friends and people around you who are probably struggling in similar different ways yeah, and, and maybe and from a professional if you're really struggling and maybe maybe you have a sexual health problem maybe mm. you have a problem with it mm. but you don't have an addiction and you don't yeah. you're unlikely to have a disorder mm. um and it's useful to see if see what's going on here. Yeah. Shame. We haven't talked about shame. We haven't no, talked I about the erotic conflicts that people have. Let's get to that because I think that's yeah. a lot of people are thinking I've got a problem because you know I'm disturbed by the kind of fantasies I'm having or mm -hmm. the kind of porn or the things I want to do with my partner or mm -hmm. the stuff I might be into. Right. Like so that's a whole area yeah mm. what, what do you think about that well i mean yeah i mean sometimes i see people who are where there's desired discrepancies one's wired for kink and yeah. they, and and or pain or pa they want to be submissive or they want to be dominant mm. and their partner's very vanilla and they yeah. just, they want cuddles yes. or their partner's not really into sex mm -hmm. very much at all I mean, yeah. maybe they want cuddles maybe they don't even want cuddles yeah and so these desired desire discrepancies it might be just that it's the wrong partner for you and we've got a whole podcast episode on discrepancies in desire because that's a big thing we this is the thing you've about. talked about yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah so i'm not going to mm. i'm not going to whisper about that but um sometimes it's about the, the things that they're looking at that disturb them yeah 
and they might be they might be looking at some things that are, are disturbing. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking extreme porn, child pornography, these kinds of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or um, it, but or it might be just stuff that yeah. isn't socially acceptable. Yeah. And they're fantasizing about that, or they're reading porn or, yeah. or watching porn, reading that literature around that kind of stuff, yeah. and feeling like mm -hmm. they're not normal because yeah. nobody tells us what is normal and yes. and what is normal. What is there is no normal. There is no normal. <laughs> Let's get away that's, from that. that's the important thing. And again, your principles come in so well here because it's not about the kind of stuff you're into. Mm. It's fine to be into anything. Mm. It's like, but are you acting on it? It's pretty much fine to be into anything. Yeah, yeah. To have and and to have fantasies around mm. anything, but yeah. it's like, are you d making sure that you're acting on it only consensually, ethically? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, my my problem with a lot of this is al also, you know, I think some. Of, yeah, I don't want to say much about def specific sex addiction treatments because I'm not too sure, but I feel that there has been a kind of move to just almost trying to get people to shut down and not do things oh, or, yeah. not, or not even fantasize about sure, them. Sure. And I feel like that's really dangerous. I think yeah. we have, you know, we have fantasies for reasons mm -hmm. um, and actually it's good to turn towards them and think, okay, well, wh what's going on here? Mm -hmm. even, even if it is a disturbing fantasy, and it's why and it's useful to understand what's yeah. what the fantasy is about and maybe Jack Morin's book The Erotic Mind is really good yeah. it's a really useful thing and Justin Lermiller did a big study in the States he's an, a, a sexologist in the States and did a big study and came up mm. after lots of research and loads and loads of um, questionnaires on what is um, what are the common fantasies and he came up with yeah, seven common sexual were. fantasies yeah Okay, so the seven are multi-partner sex, threesomes, orgies, and gangbangs. Yeah. Um, power, control, rough sex, BDSM, for mm -hmm. example. Novelty, adventure, and variety. These are sexual activities where there's one has never done it before or you'd like to attempt it in some new way, mm -hmm. such as different settings or public sex or yeah. these kind of novelty things. Things that are taboo or forbidden sex, like mm -hmm. voyeurism, exhibitionism, were amongst those. Mm -hmm. The fifth one is passion, romance, and intimacy. Yeah. It's common across genders and orientations and ages, with most people saying they rarely or never fantasize about completely emotionless sex. Interesting. Which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, the fantasy is about connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the sixth is non-monogamy and partner sharing. Mm -hmm. That's a separate category from group sex and includes open relationships, polyamory, swinging, and cuckolding. Yeah. Um, cockholding is one of those things that is very different between um, men, gay men who are cockholding and straight people who are cockholding. Mm. Very different. And then it, the seventh is erotic flexibility and what he calls gender bending. Oh. <laughs> so these push yeah. the boundaries of sexual orientation and gender roles, cross-dressing, changing genders for sex, yeah. sex outside one's usual sexual orientation um, were amongst those fantasies. Fascinating, so it? they're the seven most common. And yeah. many of us might be ticking... Yeah. Seven of them. And it's so good to normalise that. Like, oh. if you're fantasising about that stuff or looking at that stuff, that is so fine. Um, yeah, again, what it is is to think, now, am I doing that consensually? Mm -hmm. And that includes, am I paying for my porn? Mm -hmm. That includes, am I looking at anything where people might have been coerced or exploited into doing that? Right. Don't go there. But there's other ways to do it. You know, yeah. there's, there are other ways to act out this stuff with consenting people or to yep. go and view it and read about it in ways that are mm -hmm. um, but you know it may be good to explore it that's why Jez and I put together the um, how to 
understand yourself through erotic fantasy zine that we mm -hmm. made yep. because that was really building on Jack Marin's theories which is that a lot of our erotic fantasies are rooted in shame and tra trauma and right. it's like this superpower that we have is that we eroticize <coughs> things that are really tough. We eroticize mm -hmm. the tough stuff that happens Because we move from being a victim in it yeah. to being to being a superhero. Precisely. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really exciting that we can do that. And I guess what disturbs me about sex addiction is, you know, that whole movement can easily shame us mm. for this very thing that we've yeah. done that's actually really cool. Yeah. Um, but just because you're fantasizing about it doesn't necessarily mean you act it out. Just because you act it out doesn't mean you necessarily, you know, you can find safer ways of doing mm -hmm. that with, within, like, in community or whatever if it is sort of power stuff that you want right. to do um, but it, so I think it's and I, and I think it is worth looking into the sexual fantasies and thinking what can we learn about ourselves from them um, rather than just kind of staying with them as, mm. as just fun yeah. like actually there's this deeper level in which we can engage there's a, there's yeah. a lot there's a lot we could yeah. teach learn, learn about our own unconscious processes yeah, in, in, in exploring those um, and where do you know where do they come from? Mm. And what, what, how do we have the same ones? Mm. What, what is it about this particular genre of porn that keeps drawing me back? Right, exactly. What does it say about I don't know missed phases of my own development yeah. or life? Yeah. What does it say about the the other things that I'm not? Why do I not do this in my real life? What's yeah? What you know, I, yeah, is it that I'm drawn to this thing in fantasy or porn because I'm not getting enough of it met in real life? Well, and it, it could be yeah. hard to some of yeah. those things that you can fantasize about would be possible or, or yeah. too dangerous to do in real life exactly or just just not possible you know have sex with aliens yeah you know from another planet it doesn't really occur yeah tentacle, tentacle porn quite difficult to make happen <laughs> exactly yeah yeah not especially convincingly although the, yes. you know, the, there are some 60s movies that might attract the <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah but um what does that say about what's going mm. on for me about the kind of people i've been meeting in real life and that's what really saddens <clears> me about the pathology of sex addiction, sexual dysfunctions, um, paraphilia disorders, mm. all of this is like it's it actually prevents people from looking closely at this stuff because they're mm. so scared and yeah. they're just trying to fix themselves. Okay. Actually, we could have a much more creative kind of approach sure. as therapists where it's just part of the picture, someone's sexuality is part of the picture mm. that we can learn from. Mm. But as long as we're pathologizing anyone we see as abnormal and trying to make people fit into normal mm -hmm. there's no there's no space for that wealth of kind of rich exploration that we could be doing yeah you know it just everything's just shoved into this kind of and it can be super yeah. embarrassing to talk about that with a therapist yeah you know i can, I, I acknowledge yeah. that i <laughs> i tr it's it can you have to one as a therapist one has to be incredibly respectful of someone's space yeah. that they might not want to talk about this stuff mm -hmm. and yet engaging in a conversation where you do feel safe mm. can be quite rich to explore it but I think yeah. that is work that one can do with one's own journal or reading the Morin oh, yeah, book and definitely. just know it so it, it one would, can dig uh, into it a bit yeah I would say like unless you really feel like you've got a problem there's not a need to bring this to therapists no, or other professionals no, no, no. but if you are feeling like I if you're feeling in some way out of control of whether you can do these things consensually mm -hmm. or if it's really distressing you mm -hmm. then those are times when great mm. ideas and you know pink therapy is a good place to go if you're in the UK for mm -hmm. for a therapist who's likely to work affirmatively and also be someone who's really used to talking about sex with clients mm. so that well, yeah. many of our enough, many know. of our people are pretty good at that yeah but but you still need to take you know do your own checks because shop around we've done a two podcasts two on how, on to find, around. how to find a therapist because we've, so, got, yeah. we've got a lot of great therapists in our directory mm. and some of them are in there just I think to promote their practice and may not have engaged in yeah 
the right kind of training. Mostly they list the kind of training I've had they, so you yeah, can check it out. You can check it out. But also even if even if they're spot on, you know, mm. you may not have a good rapport with them. Yeah, so absolutely. That's, that's why we did our I think that's a great thing. On, on how to find a therapist. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a, a handout on on how to choose a therapist and how to interview them oh, on my on my website too. Oh, is that yeah. on Pink Therapy? On the Pink Therapy website. Great. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we could put that in the notes or for yeah, some, maybe yeah. for the previous show or something, but Yes. Um, yeah. I feel like we done a pretty good job of covering what we were planning to cover was there anything else you'd thought about mentioning that we haven't like included there uh, no i think we have actually yeah, I yeah. Think we have well obviously if listeners have a, a follow-up questions oh, for sure. l- luckily dominic and i now live in the same place so it's very yeah. easy to do this we so could do another one <laughs> we could do a follow-up we could do all the, answer all the questions <laughs> yeah. do a big q a of, yeah. your, of your questions yeah feel free to send them in yeah. but until until then um thanks so much dominic for being here um, now Justin always does the end bit of the podcast where he says where all of our stuff is online so I don't remember any of the URLs but we are Meg John, at Meg John Justin on Twitter which is really the only social media we use megjohnandjustin.com if you want to find out more of our podcasts and we also have a Patreon now um, this will be I believe a free available oh, to everybody good. Um, but um, if you want to listen to more of our shows and more of our guests then go to our Patreon Um, because there are additional shows there and join up and support us that would be great absolutely Um, and until next time thanks very much bye bye bye